Byronic butterflies. I'll admit, sometimes I pick topics just for the alliteration of it all. October 27th, 2021. The Inspiration. Butterfly of Joy. The most wasted of all days is one without laughter. E.E. Cummings. Look, I don't know about y'all, but things have been rough lately. Everyone I know is struggling. We all know why, and maybe some of us are doing okay and are like, what's the problem? But for many of us, we're seriously questioning everything. We're quitting our jobs. We're quitting relationships. We're grieving losses. We're moving across the country. We're moving to new countries. We're looking at a world full of fascism and death and the return of bootcut jeans and deciding that we need to stop planning for a future we might not have and live now. Yeah, existentialism is trending, y'all. And you know what? It's not terrible. Societally, we're a butterfly in a chrysalis, beating our wings against the constraints we've built until we can break free. I hope that's the case. I hope when we do break free, that we create a better world for everyone in it, that we're kinder, that we're better, and that we're more loving to each other. But while we're inside the chrysalis, beating our wings to build our strength for the next expression of our existence, while we are in the now, let's find a way to laugh and express joy. No matter how tight the chrysalis is, there is always space for joy. The fat orange cat. Now you see me. Glasses as a metaphor are a lot of fun because they speak to how we see. We can darken them with sunglasses or brighten them with fun, funky frames. What if your character lost their glasses and suddenly the world was all blurry? What if they found someone else's glasses and wanted to return them to the owner? What if they looked through their spouse's glasses only to discover that the glasses have some kind of magical entry into the past? Glasses, man. Put a pair in your story today. Have some fun. The trope. Isn't it Byronic? I cannot tell you how little patience I have for the Byronic hero while also loving them so much that I'm kind of ashamed of it. For those of you who are new to this idea, a Byronic hero comes from Lord Byron, who wrote this kind of character and had a reputation for being a bit, unironically, Byronic. The Byronic hero is dark, broody, tortured, self-involved, self-destructive. He loves intensely, but always through the filter of his own pain and torment. He's great in bed, a disaster at dinner with your parents. He can't be happy because he's too stuck up his own ass to see that happiness is even an option. The thing I hate about the Byronic hero is shut up. Heathcliff, I get that you're a petulant little child who thinks that life should have worked out differently than it did, but you and Catherine are doomed. Stop renting your clothing on the moors and get over yourself. On the other hand, Angel, Mr. Darcy, Batman, there's a million reasons not to get into a romantic entanglement with any of these self-involved, self-destructive men, and that makes us want them all the more. Romantic conflict is built in with these dudes, and romantic conflict can be very fun. Have your character sleep with a Byronic hero? Absolutely. But a long-term thing will never, ever work because they cannot be happy or they cease to be Byronic. And if being Byronic is their entire identity, then they unravel and your character is just sitting there holding them while they cry. The sex will be fantastic, though. A little note here, as I'm reading this, I realized it was highly gendered talk, and typically the Byronic hero is coded male, but you know, there's no reason why we need that. So just let me say, I take it all back, 
Please switch out my he's for they's. I like to read these as I wrote them without an edit, but that's just a little note I wanted to put in there. Could be anybody. The question. Magpie. I've been working on my prep for NaNoWriMo, and I keep on wanting to put myself in little references that mean things in my own life. And I was wondering how much of yourself do you put in your own work? Do you filter at all, or do you put yourself in raw? Personally invested. Dear PI, interesting question. It's my feeling that you can't write honestly and vulnerably without inserting pieces of yourself inside the work. When I talk about craft and magic, I define the magic as you. Now, how you would be defined as magic covers a lot of ground. It's your humor, your sense of doom and darkness, your philosophical outlook, your fascinations, your wording, your perspective. And write what you know. It's there again. You. So that covered, I think your question might be a little more literal, putting in little details that have significance to you, maybe. And to that, I'd also say, how can you not? I'm like a magpie snatching little glittery details from my life and weaving them into the story simply because they're mine. I cannot imagine filtering myself out of my work, and I cannot imagine the purpose of doing so, except maybe to avoid the vulnerability of it or because you might be worried that it's narcissistic. It is vulnerable. It is not narcissistic. Re-vulnerability. That's already a foregone conclusion if, as I said, you intend to write honestly. And there's no reason to write if you're not going to do it honestly. So vulnerability is the catch for you. Work on increasing your comfort level with that. If it's narcissism you're worried about, you can let that go. Culturally, we have a toxic relationship with ourselves that I think needs some examination. Ignoring yourself, your needs, your thoughts, your fascinations simply because they are yours speaks to a cultural implication that we should always consider ourselves to be less valuable than others, and I don't like it. This idea that we don't want to get too full of ourselves, ugh. I say fill up, get full of yourself, take in a deep, deep breath of yourself and exhale joy. And if that exhalation of joy gets into your work, awesome. What's important is not that you shrink away and play small, making room for other people. What's important is that you realize that room in this sense is not a finite resource. Take up all the space you want. There will still be plenty of space for others as long as you make it. Do you see what I'm saying? What's important is not that you're not fascinated with yourself, and I maintain you should be, but that you are as fascinated with yourself as you are with others, that you are as supportive of yourself as you are of others, that you are as willing to talk about yourself as you are to talk about others. Do not shrink, expand, do not play small, dream big. Your awesome doesn't take away from anyone else's awesome. And if you make as much space for others as for yourself and you make loads of space for yourself, you're doing just fine. I don't know if that answered your question or if it touched on anything you needed answered, but that's what I have to say on the matter. Magpie away, be glorious, and let everyone see it. Everything, L. The Practical, True Crime. Sometimes I wonder about why I return to true crime. I don't particularly like it. I mean, it's dark. It focuses on the terrible things that humans do to each other. And while I understand that this is the world we all live in, I don't enjoy diving into that world too much. But lately, I've been listening to a string of podcasts and watching documentaries that would suggest that I protest too much. I'll be gone in the dark. Suspect. Over my dead body. What happened, Brittany Murphy? Firebug. Tiger King. 
Part of it is that I listen to the Crime Writers On podcast because Kevin and Rebecca are delightful and I love them. The whole podcast is about true crime and I get sucked in when they recommend something. But also, there's a fascination there. I mean, there's a built-in story structure to these things, always some mystery. What happened? How did it happen? Why did it happen? And how can I prevent it from happening to me? But I don't really know. I've been thinking lately about the philosophy of story or aesthetics, and I wonder sometimes about the pleasures of things like horror or true crime. What is it that draws us in? I don't know, but I do wonder. What do you think? Everything, L. Time after time. If you're lost, you can look and you will. It's November! October 30th, 2021. Dear writer, it's almost November? How did, when did, where, 2022? Okay, I promised that for the entire month of November, I would send out daily, and I mean daily weekends to NaNoWriMo tips and encouragement, and I will. Paid posts will remain as they are now, a letter from me to you every Saturday. But I just have to say, and I am sorry because everyone says this all the time, it's like that working hard or hardly working thing that people say and they don't know is not funny, but I've seriously had enough of this time nonsense. I know time moves faster as you get older and there are scientific reasons for that perception, but the pandemic put some wicked moves on my sense of time by both dilating and constricting time simultaneously, which weird flex, but okay. All right, enough of that whining. We're all in it together. You're going through the same thing. So let's talk about time in terms of story. I'm finally watching The Crown. I haven't watched it until now for a couple of reasons. One, it's about the royals and they creep me out. Why anyone would ever want to be a royal, I will never understand. It's just really decadent prison life. Two, it's a slow start and the colors are all faded and it feels like it's not even interested in itself. But Gillian Anderson is in it in later seasons and basically I'll watch anything with GA except Hannibal because I watched enough Hannibal to know I will not be watching any more Hannibal. It's a good show, just no. But anyway, back to The Crown. I've heard a lot of good things about it, so I'm hanging in. I'm about four episodes into season one, and I have yet to find traction in the story, but I love Olivia Coleman, who's coming later, and there's Gillian Anderson coming later, and we've got John Lithgow in the first season, but ever since he started doing Rudy Giuliani for Stephen Colbert, so I'm watching Rudy Giuliani give advice to the Queen, and no... Also, I've been slowly making my way through season one of Farscape because my friends are doing a podcast about it and they've invited me to be on the season one finale episode. So I'm trying to latch on to that. As most of you know, I have a thing about Muppets in that I hate them and I want to burn them all in a big fire. With the exception of maybe one. And for those of you listening, which is all of you because I'm recording for the audio podcast, that's where I put in the gif of Angel as a puppet from the TV show Angel. And if you're not familiar with the TV show Angel and you're only going to watch one episode, make it smile time from season five. Anyway, I'm getting past the Muppet factor in Farscape, but here's a spoiler for my appearance on Muppet Sex and Trauma. I will be calling out the constant sex falls for Crichton and Aaron. For those of you who are unfamiliar with what a sex fall is, which makes sense since it's a term I made up, it's when there's a couple with chemistry on a TV show and the writers create a scenario where one or both of them lose their balance and they fall one body on top of the other. And there's this moment of tension. Maybe they stare at each other for a hot second like they want to kiss, but of course they don't because moonlighting or whatever. I'm enjoying it more than The Crown, but I'm not completely absorbed yet. We'll see. And my last discussion of time and TV is the show that I've spent the most time watching in recent months, Ted Lasso. Now, I've already discussed season two, so we're not going to talk about that, but rather the amount of time I've invested in watching this show over 
and over and over again because it makes me happy. I've already run through season one like five times, and I'm in my third run through season two. This feels weird. Is that weird? I mean, there are shows I've watched a lot. Buffy, of course, Moonlighting, Northern Exposure, Angel, The Office, Parks and Recreation. But never have I watched something so often in such a short time span. I mean, I only discovered season one in June. If there's a formula for amount of time you spent watching a show within a particular amount of time, I think Ted Lasso is the all-time winner for me. What's yours? Comment below. Let's chat. Everything else.